Tim Johnston here with Dr. Terry Pope, a.k.a. Statman. Statman, how you doing today? Tim, I'm great. Glad we're here. Hey, we've got Mike Cope with us here today, uh, Terry. It's great to have you, you here with us, Mike. Mike, thanks for coming in. This should be interesting. We know you're a great baseball fan. I go way back. It's, it's a part of my soul, and uh, I'm glad to be with you guys. I know you guys are big summer fans. Great. And uh, so another 100-degree day is just about right for, for oh, taping this. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you know, Mike's our preacher for years, and we're thankful for Mike. He, great preacher, really helped us grow spiritually. And, Mike, I know that's a thorny job to take care of Terry and I. But you know what, really? <laughs> I knew that this is my man. This is my preacher. It's the day that I saw Mike. He was coaching a Little League baseball game. Terry? <laughs> And so when a guy, this is practical faith, right? He's going to have real faith if he's going to be a baseball coach. Mike, talk to us a little bit about that. Did you coach Little League baseball? Yeah, I coached 12 years here in town, six years for Matt, six years for Chris. Wow. Uh, I got to coach two teams that went to Waco. It, it was uh, a lot of fun. I, I love part of the Key City Little League here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, another connection with you on baseball, Tim, is uh, – uh, my older son was torn between Pepperdine and, and ACU when it was time to, to go to college. And I think that deal was sealed in your backyard playing baseball. Is that right? Didn't you have a... I had a pitching machine. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, hey, instead of having a normal recruiting session, like, Matt, you want to come over, hit some balls, and then we'll go have a steak. And, and, and he loved that. Pepperdine had this big, beautiful you know, baseball field overlooking the Pacific, but nobody offered to throw him a ball. So it was, it was over after that. And oh, the, great. Hey, your yeah. connection to Pepperdine, that's another great one because the Waves, they really have a, a fantastic baseball history. Yeah, they they do. They have great teams. They've, they've had some top flight pitchers that are in the playing big time ball now. So I love picking up a game if I happen to be out there when they're playing. Beautiful place. It's nice to have palm trees in the back of your outlining your outfield. That's always a you know a good recruiting sign and a good distraction if you're a pitcher because it's the it's the batters that are looking at the ocean out there. Yeah, <laughs> but Mike, uh, you you've got a long history with baseball, so tell us some of your favorite baseball memories. Sure. Um, the thing about baseball is it it's woven into my life because it ties me to my dad, my brother my boys and now my grandson there's nothing better than matt texting me saying miles and i are heading out can you come over which i know means we need a catcher <laughs> <laughs> and we can usually recruit a granddaughter to go shag balls in the outfield but uh uh papa's pretty good at uh, being a catcher so i i love that but the my earliest memories are are traveling with my dad he was a newspaper man and uh, it was a larger newspaper family so because we're in Missouri, in Neosho, Missouri, is where I was born and graduated from high school, um, he was able back then to get World Series tickets. So my first game memory is 1964. Went with my dad and um, we flew into the airport. Back then, anybody could go anywhere in an airport. Mm -hmm. And uh, we met um, Kurt Flood and Lou Brock. They were just getting in. Wow. But it... It was an amazing year. I was eight at the time. I'd just turned eight uh, before the World Series. 
And um, I still remember a plane flying overhead with the banner that said Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris too. We've come to put a hex on you. And, um, you know, so there I was. Um, I have a sad confession about the 64 World Series. And that is like every other kid in America, I had two heroes, Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. And since Mantle was playing, I rooted for the Yankees. I, was, I wasn't wow. yet old enough. And, you know, you didn't have the Cardinals on TV. It's not like today where you, you had that built in. So I was one of the few people in the old Sportsman's Park in 1964 that was, that was rooting for, for uh, the Yankees. But just to think back about all the things in that year, you know, the, the Cardinals, of course, won four to three. And it kind of marked that the National League was so far ahead of the American League in integration of minority players, of bringing in black athletes. And so you look at the Yankee stars, they, they were all white. That, that was yeah. like an early era. Now there were great players, right? I mean, you had, you had uh, Maris and Mantle and so on. But with the Cardinals, you had Kurt Flood and Lou Brock and Bill White and towering above all, uh, Bob Gibson. Mm -hmm. so, so that game was in the midst of changing right there. But sadly, I was cheering for the wrong side. But it, <laughs> it's it's still a great memory, 1964. The next time we went back, and I brought for you guys, I know listeners can't see it, but the 1967 World Series program I've held on to, the game we went inside, you can see my 11-year-old scorekeeping going oh, on. Wow. I, I hope it was fairly accurate. But uh, <laughs> we went to game three in 1967. Uh, that's the year that Bob Gibson pitched three complete games. He gave up 14 hits in three complete games. I mean, that's you can't imagine that today. Unheard of. I happened to see the guys. other win. I, I saw uh, Nelson Bryles pitch, and Bryles had been a so-so pitcher, but Gibson missed a third of the year because a Robert Clemente line drive broke his leg, and he was out for a third of the season. So they brought Bryles up to take his position, and he was so successful. He had a 14-5 record that he had this other starting position. So I saw the Nelly Bryles win in that game, but got to see Carl Yastrzemski play in his Triple Crown year. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, just so many wonderful memories. Another one, another thing to throw on the table for others not to see is couple of my favorite cards I keep in my office. Uh, one is my Bob Gibson card and the other is my Orlando Cepeda card. I loved Orlando Cepeda. Excellent. My, my sister was born in 67, my youngest sister, and I begged my parents to name her Orlando <laughs> if it was a boy or Orlanda if yeah. she was a girl. She and I still laugh about how she's so thankful they didn't listen to me, but I pleaded with them to name her Orlanda in honor of Orlando Cepeda, but, but that, that was a, a fun series. You know, in terms of the country, it was the summer of love. I knew none of that. I lived in Southwest Missouri. My world by then was the Cardinals. And then in 1968, uh, again, dad being in the newspaper business, we got to go back and see the series um, against Detroit, which didn't turn out as favorably for the Cardinals, but Again, what a, what a great memory that is. Another funny memory in 68 is my grandma and my grandpa could not have been more different politically. When we say he was conservative, 
He was a member of the John Birch Society. <laughs> we politely call my grandma a liberal Democrat. She was probably a socialist. I, I don't know how they kept that together, right? They probably didn't talk about it. But before the 68 Democratic Convention in Chicago, she wanted her oldest grandchild to go be in Chicago. Her love for, for Bobby Kennedy was just you know, it, there was no limit to it. And when he was assassinated, even more, she wanted me to be in Chicago. So before the convention, we went up there. And all I really remember is she took me to a Cardinals Cup game and she saw that I loved it so much. And my, my aunt was with us. I loved it so much. She took me the next day. So that's my memory of uh, being in Chicago in August of 1968. Not not the convention, but but the ball games, wow. And then to go to the uh, to see the World Series game then. So where were the, what was the ballpark like? So you got to be in Wrigley. That, that's fantastic yeah. with, your, with your grandmother. And my aunt, yeah. And then you, but this, where were the Cardinals? Was it Bush Stadium? Yeah, uh, they were in uh, Sportsman's Park in 64. And then I think it was 66 that the first Bush Stadium, uh, Bush Memorial Stadium, I think it was called, was built. And it wasn't until maybe 2006 that the, the next Bush Stadium came. So by 67, this would have been, the one that was after Sportsman's Park. These are incredible memories. Uh, so 68, of course, now you talked about 67, Bob Gibson, three complete games. Yep. I don't know if Mickey Lowlich got three complete games for the Tigers or not, but he won three games. Yeah. So these are, you know, pitching was at a totally different level back then. And I like how you're highlighting how our country was changing. Yeah, it, it just to think how different the National League and American League were, but but eventually, of course, it becomes uh, more fully integrated by the end of the 1960s. It becomes obvious that you're going to play at a disadvantage if you insist on an all-white uh, team. And and the Red Sox, history tells us, were they were one of the last to adapt in the American League. Yeah. But then you think of some of the great players they've had. Uh, Was Dustin Howard the first Yankee of color? Uh. I don't know. Who knows the answer to that? Yeah, I don't know. But well, that man, that's what we've got to be here for. So, uh, I think Randy just... Harris would know. Okay. Uh, oddly enough. You know, I, I just listened to Randy over the, uh, on my way over here. I didn't know that had dropped yet. And uh, I agree with much of what he said. Was there any disagreement? Well, sure. Okay, so we, we're talking about rule changes, right? So what would you like to see the game well, do? Well, before do that, it, it was just, you know, that it the money ball people saying it doesn't help to have another great hitter behind you. Okay. But that can't be right. I mean, for one thing, you cannot really test that you for, to prove that you'd have to have the same pitcher, the same hitters, the same park, and so on. You can't freeze all of that. Everything's changed. You don't get Cabrera winning the first triple crown in 2012, since Yastrzemski in 1967 without Prince Fielder behind him. Maris doesn't hit 71 home runs in 61, breaking Babe Ruth's record without Mantle behind him. I, I just, the Dodgers line up today, the Yankees line up today. If you've got a 3-2 count, you can't pitch around somebody if Mantle's coming up next or if uh, Prince Fielder's coming up. So the, a walk might not alter at the moment the, the, the batting average, but if, if you're going after the triple crown or the home run record, you don't you can't take a lot of walks. You need that three-two pitch to come down the middle. Okay, so th that's a great point. So I was wondering if you remembered. So you were at the '64 World Series. You're a big Mickey Mantle fan. Was Roger Maris who was protecting who there? Was were they both? Maris batted third. 
Okay. And Mantle was clean up. And it, it, interesting, so you were at some level pulling for Roger Maris at that point. Oh, and sure. Later, he's going to become a Cardinal, right? Yeah. He, uh, in fact, he played with him in the 67 series. Yeah, he's there. He's playing uh, with Cepeda. I think he batted third and Cepeda fourth in the 67 series. I'd have to go back and look. So you're Actually, taking, I'm sure it's right in there. So you're taking issue with one of our guests that, about the... <laughs> I'm taking issue with one of my best friends of the world. When, uh, when did Cepeda go from the Cardinals to the Giants? Um, he played for the Cardinals really not that long. It was like 66 to 68 something like that uh but long enough to make an impact and leave him a cardinal in 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 my heart you know but i also was a giants fan because of my love for willie mays and later for some reason i really liked will clark and you know there there have been some moments of the years when i've been a giants fan absolutely and and you heard it okay so let's get into some of these rule changes is there anything that you would like to see major league baseball improve Kind of set some context. Um, the reason our podcast is named what it is, is we think the season starts too early because it's cold in the east, mm-hmm. and it lasts too long because it's cold in the east. So the boys of summer are freezing. We don't we don't want to see people wearing earmuffs. Um, and so, then our so you want more double hitters or just fewer games? Possibly fewer, fewer games. Fewer games. Yeah. Fewer, fewer I games. Think the owners have let. We've been at one sixty-two for sixty years, but you're just saying that needs to go down. That that'd be okay, or yeah. maybe this playoff system. It was even raised yes. yesterday that maybe these divisions is something we've gotten a little out of hand with too much, too many playoffs. Oh, for sure, uh, too many playoffs, and I, I just kind of missed the old days of nineteen sixty-four. Who won the American League pennant? Who won the National League pennant? Now yeah. I know in terms of money and and. Uh, sports casting, TV income, you those games are valuable, yeah, right? Because yeah. attendance is going down. We're de- they're depending on on yeah. income from televised games, but it does feel like a lot. And and how do you really take um, a winner of a division that's <laughs> five games over 500 when another division has three up around 600, uh, winning uh, 600%, uh, yeah. 600 so yeah. so that's a challenge i i that's a good I, idea the idea that you could shorten that a little bit i i do think what there are eight retractable stadiums maybe that starts to get a little bit uh as as those go up toward right uh, do you like the the retractable stadiums? do i mean we understand it like here in texas yeah i mean down in houston yeah the astrodome started all of this yeah and now here in in arlington we're I know I am thankful. There are days you can't sit in yeah. a summer game. I've been to a couple of games there already that I don't think I'd be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you always, for some reason, in the old stadium, I always thought I could remember where the best place to sit is, and I always had it wrong. <laughs> I always wound up. I, somehow I couldn't get oriented, and I wound up with the, that afternoon, early evening heat just blaring down. So I, I do like it. I mean, I my, my favorite park to ever go to is Fenway. So, I, you know, I can't, I'm not asking for Fenway to, to be retractable. Of course. Okay. So you've got another good friend. We had another listener. It's uh, Mark Lewis and he's, he's a Red Sox fan and he's uh, never been to Fenway. Oh, wow. So we need to make, we started to go fund me. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's great. We just gotta, send me a link. I'll put a couple bucks in there. Okay, I've been to several games and there's nothing quite like it. I mean, it's just, 
its ridiculous arrangement of the, I mean, the green monster, all of that. And yet it, it lives up to the glory. Of course, so did Wrigley Field, but I, I really have great memories of being at, uh, at Fenway. So yeah. are there anything, so we've seen ballparks change, yeah. right? And sometimes that's good. Um, sometimes it's not so great, but is there anything as far as a rule change yeah. or something so, that you just did? You, you got to see it change. Let, let me start with my main concern, and I know you're bound to have covered it, but the crisis of baseball is going to be not just that it's getting longer. I, th I think it's up 15 minutes yeah. in the last five years or 10 years, something like that. So that itself could be a problem. But the, the bigger problem is the dramatic changes in society, thanks to the smartphone. Our attention levels have plummeted. Um, in, in the old days, there was a book called Neil, by uh, Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And even before all of this sensation, he was talking about how we were finding a way to just be distracted and amuse ourselves. But now that's coming out in full attention. I told somebody recently I'm not reading like I used to. I, I get, you know, I've been a voracious reader my whole life and I'm just finding it harder. But I, I can't help but want, it could be because I'm getting older. <laughs> it could be a 66 thing. But part of it, I, I think, is that so much of life is spent on a phone and quick little bits of information here and checking this. And, and it does, it, I think it does something to our brain. And so a sport that's getting longer and longer and longer, that doesn't bode well with society whose attention span is getting shorter. Now, right. I'm guessing the three of us could sit and watch a, a 19 inning game and never look at the phone, you know, and never yeah. look at the phone and probably take two naps during it, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> one, but, one but, of the times you see this playing out. So the Ranger Stadium has those boxes, ground level boxes, right behind home plate. So when you're watching on television, you, you know, you see the batter and then right behind them are these boxes. And I would say 100% of the time, somebody in those boxes is looking at their phone. Yeah. So, you know, you're right there. You're yeah. right there. Yeah. I've been to the Grand Canyon and seen a guy sitting there and he's flipping through his <laughs> Facebook page. like, Dude, you're at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> okay, but this is important, Mike, because you said when you started out, you were like talking about it's so important to you, and it's a family. Yeah, your dad. Yeah, you. It's my boy. It's it's going into the front yard and throwing a million pitches with those kids. And uh, by the way, it was easier with Matt than it was with Chris. <laughs> I still remember throwing batting practice that last year, thinking, "Yeah, I got a, <laughs> I got a." You got to get a yep. This is a young man's game in here throwing batting practice for an hour. Uh, yeah. In fact, toward the end, I got his old brother, his older brother to come throw batting practice for me. But but it is tied up into that. It's a slow game. It's methodical. It's throwing pitches. I remember both boys, you know, I'd teach them three pitches, but they didn't throw them any different. They just, <laughs> I called different pitches. You're eight years old. You're throwing them the same, you know. <laughs> okay, here comes my knuckleball. Okay, it looks a lot like your fastball. <laughs> Let's call the old curveball. Um, but how do we, we deal with the short yeah. attention span? I, I came with three suggestions. Great. <laughs> so one is um, it has forever annoyed me the gap between what the strike zone says and what's called. 
And mm -hmm. so that, that stretches a game out. I mean, it becomes a more interesting game if you raise it up where it's supposed to go. Right. But with some umpires, it's, it's like mid-thigh to just below the knee. Sometimes it's waist to knee and so on. But if, you, if you could get the full strike zone now, you know, you, you can't have consistency with human umpires in, do, in, in getting that right, but you could insist this will be enforced. We're raising to a full strike zone. That seems like that would help cut down on the number of balls. Another is I get weary of one pitcher per batter. And I, I get, I look, again, the three of us, we like the strategy of that. Right-handed batter comes in, bring in the right-handed pitcher, you know. Um, we, I, I see that, but it stretches the game out. I, yes. it, would it be wrong to put an, a limit on the number of pitchers per inning, you know, and just say, I'm sorry, <laughs> you, you get one more pitcher this inning. And not only that, but if you think he might be pitching, getting warmed up, right. you know, don't stop for five minutes to. Exactly. They, they've been okay. throwing in the bullpen for 15 minutes. Yeah. They come in there. And throw eight or ten more pitches. Yeah, you know, throw throw two. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you, part of it's got to be that mound. Yeah, that rubber yeah, and everything. You know, still. But so the, let's test Mike on a couple of things because oh, sure. we've had previous poll questions. One first poll question, Mike. How would you answer? Uh, we suggested that the rules change to there's only one in inning pitching change for a whole game. A whole game. There's only one what now? In inning. So while in the inning, you oh, can replace a pitcher only once in a whole game. If you want to replace them between innings, no problem. Yeah. Because we hate this visit to the mound, all the wasted time. But that's pretty strategic then if you only get one in inning pitching change for a whole game. Yeah, barring injury or something like that. Yeah. Well, right. yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a strict application of what I was talking about there. That that. <laughs> I, I might push, you know, to two or something like that, but it's the right idea. When you look at the box score and you see a team that's had 10 pitchers, no wonder the game was four hours long. Yeah, you know? right. You're a long ways from Bob Gibson pitching in 1968 a full game and allowing three seconds between batters. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Get on the mound, throw the ball. So we're bringing you back to some of the things we've already talked about. But we like what you talked about. Your, your, your first suggestion is we got to get this strike zone right. Correct? That it's, they're not calling it as it is below the shoulders. It's all, to yes, the it's always recognized that it's basically called from the belly button or the waist to the knees. Right. Okay, so we're going to, you're suggesting we should change that. What, you said you came with some other changes. What else could help? Besides those three? Well, th those were three, the that the limit the number of uh pitchers okay so you're with us on that yeah i yeah. am maybe not one per game maybe but, but the crazy. number um i i think that's important and, and third get them ready in the bullpen yeah come out that's the third thing get, come out ready to go so my couple pitches to get the feel of the mound and let's go so terry uh stat man on uh, when you we had a rule on a poll question was should we eliminate mound visits in total? Mm. Doesn't mean you can't change pitchers, but there's no you know you don't make all these mound visits. And how did the, what were the stats on that? What did people vote? It was essentially unanimous that people don't like mound visits. 
especially the pitches, number. Yeah, particularly by the pitching coach. The pitching coach goes out there. You know, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to talk the managers, to me, and nothing happens. The manager eventually has to go. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. You're buying time, and they always say it's to give them time to warm up. All right. I, I know you can wear their arms out, but but we've all played catch where you're warming up, but you're not throwing 95 miles an hour. Right, right, right. You know, I usually wait till well, I throw why, 95 miles an hour. <laughs> why do you think there aren't more complete games fished today? Like in Bob Gibson's day, Sandy Kopex, those guys pitch complete games. Rarely does someone pitch a complete game. Yep. So last night, watching the, game, uh, the Ranger game, uh, you know, you you know they're going to pull their pitchers, yeah. uh, even if things are going well. Yeah, if there's any delicacy, you know, we've all seen games where somebody is on a no hitter. Yeah, but in the eighth inning, the announcers know one hit, and it and could be over pull. because yeah. you you've you've got an ace reliever waiting there and right i i'm just sure statistically it works and you can imagine a fresh arm in there somebody right. whose specialty is is uh one inning two innings yeah. the, the the constant freshness which is part of comparing batting averages through the decades isn't it that you know back in the 1920s even if the pitcher is rag arm by the ninth inning he's still up there throwing it probably right you know whereas now it's a fresh fresh arm constantly think about this in our society specialization right we've moved way more to specialization yeah um we've lost our attention span yeah so when you think about if we don't make some adjustments to our game is the game going to survive will we have an audience in the future like when you think of your grandchildren yeah or do they have the same love for baseball at their age that you did or are they i don't I don't know their ages, but do you yeah. think it's going to survive? That That's a great question. I mean, we, it seems like the numbers and attendance are definitely going down. Of course, the wonder is, since it's on all the time, does, does that affect it? But I wouldn't think so. It's the experience of the ballpark. It just looks like the game is not connecting as well. Another thing is it's just so hard today. You know, I love the idea of the free market and go where the best deal is. But sometimes it feels like everybody's a farm team for the Dodgers and the Mets and the Yankees. You know, you've got these massive, these massive markets. Uh, part of why I would argue Albert Pujols is the greatest player of my life is he stayed with my team. You know, I got to see him. Now I know there was that little bad time away, but he's back again. <laughs> yeah. I think he had three hits and a home run last night. Wow. But, but Pujols stayed there. And he invested in St. Louis and he started nonprofit ministries. And, and today when you see younger players just nearly falling at his feet, you know, they, they just want to touch him and shake his hand. It's not just that he played in the major league for so long, but he was in a place, Yeah, you know, he was in a place for a long time. Pudge was in a place for a long time. And, and I know a lot of them had other years, even Mickey Mantle had a sad year at the end with the Mets or something. I, I, I mean, uh, Willie Mays um, yeah. at, there at the end. But still, you know who Willie Mays played for. Um, and I, I think I think that's right. Free agency has changed so much because, and uh, there seems to be some ego factor in being the highest paid shortstop, the highest paid yeah. whatever. So rather than stay with your team, uh, you know, why did uh, Carlos Correa want to go from the Astros to the Tigers? Yeah. Uh, 
uh, well, more money. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, why go from a first place team to a last place team? And that's that's the thing. You can go back when we were young and still give the starting lineup for the teams. Yeah. Because they were the same guys every day, every year. They played there. So now yeah, you look at a team, and particularly if it's another team you follow, you say, I don't know any of those people. Yeah. That's a great point. And like, if you, okay, did you start following any players? So you could, well, let's test Mike on this. Can you name the 1967 Cardinals starting lineup? Sure. Well, I, well, I, I think, case, well, some ga- games flood started, but usually Brock started. Whoa. All-time leading base stealer in the National League, even to this day. Uh, then Kurt Flood is still with them in 67. Mm-hmm. And then Maris was with them in 67, Cepeda. Um, I'd, be, I'd do better going around the horn. I'm, I, I lose the bat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so first base was Cepeda. Second base was Javier. Shortstop was Maxville. Third base, Mike Shannon had moved from right field to third base. By the way, one of the things in the 64 series is that brothers played third base for the two teams. That's Clay true. Boyer yeah. for the Yankees, Ken Boyer for, for the Cardinals, but I digress. That's great. Uh, let's see. Outfield, uh, well, Brock would have been in left. Uh, Flood would have been in center. Um Let's see, I've moved Shannon to third. So whoever I've forgotten is in right field. Yeah, I have I to think that. Either. Yeah. McCarver's catching most of the games. Yeah, They've got Edwards backing up. And uh, on the best days, you got Bob Gibson on the mound. Okay. But I it, feel bad. Who it goes back to, okay, well, just wrapping up real quick, but you brought in society. You um, know what? I've got my box score from the 1967 World Series. Let's go, I, bet, I bet it's in here. Let's see. Let's see. I named. Mara? Oh, Ma- Maris. I, I put him in the lineup, but forgot to put him in right field. Yeah. Okay, so Mike, I think uh, we like to close with a poll question every week. Ah. So I think the poll question we're going to put before our listeners is uh, something about the strike zone. Mm. Uh, what, but could we go this far and say, um, would you go as far as saying that you, Mike, uh, would, you talked about the strike zone. So you, you don't like how it's not really, they're not really calling the full strike zone. You think it would help cut down on the number of balls and that might help improve the speed and the in attention of, of the competitiveness of the game. Would you go as far as saying you would be interested in electronic balls and strikes called no, no uh, human umpire? I'm interested in it. That's a hard one for me because uh, bad calls have been baked into the system. And again, for consistency through the years and, the way the game is played. Um, but I don't doubt but what those little boxes are getting better and better. And it's frustrating, you know, when you see a game where the ball is clearly inside the white zone and it's called uh, a ball instead of a strike. I, I still would prefer to start with the human umpires and, and whatever training it is to uh, look at games they've got to go through and see what you called versus what the box showed and look how high the ball was still in the box but where for you it was out of the strike zone what what are you guys thinking where do you weigh in on that yeah i'm kind of kind of with you i mean i like well for example tennis major tennis tournaments have gone to electronic line calls sure and because there were too many misses 
so you could say, well, the same would apply to baseball. Um, but there is that uh, historical element where umpires are part of the game. I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. You'd probably like to see it uh, more more feedback from the minor leagues. What's it looking like? How's it working? Yeah, they're One testing it out. One article I read said that they thought the the uh, global umpires were pretty good with the north-south stuff, not as good with the east-west stuff. Yeah. And uh, but that could that could be refined. I'm sure. I mean, it will clearly get better. And there's a point where it would be just super accurate. And if that's the case, then yeah, let's. let's I always it. wonder on those. How do, how does it work with the depth? I mean, that plate is not an inch. You know, there's some depth there. Exactly. So if I don't you've know. seen a killer slider or a, oh yeah, a killer curveball, it's like where that ball is at the front of the plate and where it is at the back of the plate. So I don't. I, that's right. just a lack of knowledge on my part. So what, it what's it marking? If it cuts through that plane of that cube, yeah. At all, it's supposed to be a strike. Yes. And how does it measure that? But I mean, okay, so I don't know. here's yeah. my dilemma on it. Then you thought of you talked about society yep. and how it like we, we talked about Kurt Flood and Bob Gibson and how one in, they, they integrated one league more than another. And these change this changes our society. We taught you know Kurt Flood led a lot of the free agent movement. He was, right, sure. And he took a beat. He was the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I I just get concerned in our society, so many things are taking over for human labor. And I understand there, there's there's speed, there's accuracy, but are we going to have implications in our? You know, we don't have truck drivers anymore because of, of artificial intelligence and can use Google Maps and drive products to us. Yeah. So I think there's a human element that there is error in humans' labor in our abilities, like a, an umpire. But how are we going to deal with that if we replace everybody with a machine? It feels like that to me. I mean, even. 30 years ago, the people were talking about high tech, high touch, that as technology goes up, your human touch has got to extend as well. And this that's one of these. I, I'm a Cardinals fan. I can still <laughs> complain about the 1985 World Series, although I was a Royals fan too. But, but it was a bad call in game six. It cost the Cardinals uh, the series, not to be bitter about it and small. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't want to undo it. You know that that was the call that went on. Let's Tim. Let's make the the uh, poll question this week be on robo umpires versus human umpires. Where do people say? So that'll be our poll question, um, and it'll be worded such that yes means you like the idea of robo umpires. No, you want to stick to uh, what we have. So. Excellent. I think that's going to help us because, Mike, that's what we're, we're all about here. We're like, who knew that Abilene, Texas was the purveyor of all knowledge that's going to help our beloved game improve and be all that it once was? Remember the line from Field of Dreams? Baseball's gone on. And what once was good could be good again. Yeah. So, Mike, you made a contribution to this today. Thanks. You were a great guest. I appreciate it. I love being with you. The last thing I have to say is my boss at Pepperdine, Rick Gibson, asked me to mention the Dodgers. So I mentioned the Dodgers. Okay. So, <laughs> and with that, what our next guest? Keep your job. We're going to call out one of our other guests. We've got James Weiser here. Oh, man. we got to get him, right? Yeah, absolutely. So could you add that to the, the call here that if a true uh, Dodger fan needs to get and come talk to us? Right? I think so. It's a good time for a Dodger fan to be on here. Okay.
Mike, again, thank you. Yeah. It's great to be with you. Terry, anything else? No, Tim, this is a good session. Appreciate Later. you guys. Good to be with you. You too. Bye-bye.